0: G'day, punters, and welcome to Tabs Inside 50. I'm Nick Quinn, and as per usual, the star of the show, the 305-game superstar from Hawthorne, Shane Crawford. And Crawford, once again, more Tasmanian football royalty this week.
1: Oh, no, surely not. (laughs) Um, It's incredible, the talent that comes out of Tasmania. Can I introduce this guy? Is that okay? Absolutely. Maybe I'll take over from you, Quinny. Uh, It gives me great pleasure (laughs) introducing uh, this man who, well... Do you know what? When I think of a menu, I think of a mixed grill because he's done it all. He's you know been a coach, a player. He's a prankster, which a lot of people don't know. Uh, he can get very serious, which is very controversial these days. You're not allowed to get serious as a coach, um, but he's seen it all. He's coached some of the all-time greats, including Tony Lockett. He's played with some of the all-time gr- greats. Another key forward, Jason Dunstall. So I'm sure we'll get a bit out of him. But please welcome to the show. Rocket Rodney Ead.
2: How are you? Hi Shane. Hi Quinny. I oh, hey, you, you might put me all all out right? of a job. Then that was a very good intro. Oh, he's done well. He's done well. He hasn't promoted really like stats, himself though. extremely well, though. <laughs> <laughs> I have for a while, but I've shut it down. <laughs> are you well? very good thank you very good yeah very good enjoying life so my hair's growing back after um after (laughs) after coaching during (laughs) your playing days you you had a bit of hair didn't you had had the mullet as we all did in those days so um had the flowing locks but uh and the porno moustache had the porno may there was a few of us then back in those (laughs) days in the in the 80s was very much the the moustache but
1: uh, why were the moustaches so popular back then
2: Oh, I got no idea, mate. We're just sheep. We just followed the trend. I
1: suppose I don't know why. Everyone had a moustache, didn't yeah.
2: they? It's, yes. Uh, then it went the handlebar moustache move, and yeah. Chopper Reed and those sort of guys. And uh, yeah, eventually, then I went to North Melbourne as assistant coach, and I soon no, I soon got it off. It wasn't the trend. I used to get bagged <laughs> by my mates, so that was enough.
0: Now, in that introduction, Shane mentioned you as a prankster. True or false?
2: Oh yeah, I was a bit of a bit of a light-hearted uh, guy. Uh, there was a few of us around. I think I think that happens in most footy clubs, isn't it? There's a there's a blend of guys who love to muck around. I suppose when I first went there, there was a you now I think there was a lot of guys like that, and you had your serious blokes like the Don Scotts and <laughs> and had you know, you had Lee who was very quiet and introverted, but uh, there was you know there's a lot of guys. A lot of us used to play some tricks and. Um, uh, bag each other and come up with nicknames and those sorts of things.
1: That, that is interesting. When you think about it, you've got Don Scott in one side with Lee Matthews. You play with Jason Dunstall. You know, Dermot. Jotty Platt Platten, Dermot Brer and Dipper. Wow. Chris
2: all shy Langford, guys. All shy guys. No egos at all. Chris <laughs> Langford.
1: <laughs> Gary Ayers. Yeah. Uh, Chris Mew. It's, it's incredible, really, when you think about the, the talent that you played yeah. with.
2: Yeah, yeah. You no, know, that was very fortunate. When I first went there, obviously, Tucky. Uh, as well. Peter Knights is one of the best of all time and Martello, Kelvin Moore, and then as you said, Dermot and Jason, um, Ayersie, Langers, Platts, um, Dip. Dip was there when I first went there, but uh Gary Bacanara was a star. Yeah. Um so yeah, I was very fortunate to play in a great footy club, but certainly a great team.
0: Growing up in Tassie, from what age did you think, I'm pretty good at this caper or I might be able to go far with it?
2: Uh, Not till I went to Hawthorne, Um, actually, because I was a cricketer probably as a youngster. So that was probably my... uh, All-rounder? Oh, I thought I was an all-rounder, but mainly a batsman. Yes. Used to bowl nude nuts. Had nothing (laughs) on them at all. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, because I played just a cricket at 14 in in Tassie um, and played under-19 carnivals for a while. And then my first year at senior footy was with Glenorchy, with Peter Hudson as coach, or captain coach.
1: So you grew up in Hobart?
2: Yeah, Hobart. Yep. So, and that was my team, or I suppose my local side. Dad played there. Um, the Black and White Suburban Footy, working class suburb. And um, uh, so I played one year at uh, at Glenorchy, which fortunately I had a good year. We had a good year. You know, we won that what was called the state premiership. There's just three leagues. And we won that and went to that Australian Club Championship in Adelaide that they held. So there's North Melbourne, West Perth and Nord and Huddo recommended me to Hawthorne North Melbourne looked at me apparently because Daryl Sutton was playing as well on the team but uh, I must have had a bad day they never spoke to me <laughs> and uh, so Hawthorne was really the option and I thought I'd go for a couple of years and then come back home so I didn't really I, I suppose you have dreams of playing AFL footy or VFL which was in those days but you know, I was only a skinny kid I was only, only 11 stone at the, at the stone probably 70 kilos and I never thought I'd make it so I went, uh, went to Hawthorne, very homesick, uh, those lasted a couple of years, played in the Premiership in the first year and obviously stayed.
1: And when you first come over, who, where did you live? Who did you live with?
2: Any players or no, 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 oh. no. It's interesting. You know, I talk to people about the the modern player in the last ten years. The poor little darlings don't want to get drafted to interstate, and <laughs> I don't want to leave mum and yeah. and they get everything. And please don't it. yell at me. Oh coach. yeah, please. Oh geez. And <laughs> We'll you give ask me, you about that later. Don't and you if, you that. Feed, if you give me give me feedback, but I only want positive feedback. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Want, I don't want <laughs> room for improvement. Um, but I used to. Um, I lived in Box Hill North and went to Blackburn South High School uh, my first year, and used to get a, a bus, then a train to um, to school, and the same to Glenfrey Oval after school, and then get a ride home with Brian Cook, who's now the CEO of Carlton. He was playing at Hawthorne. And he's two-tone blue, blue FC Holden where there's smoke coming out of it. So <laughs> every time I see Cookie, I remind him of my tri- our trips home. Um, so that was my top. You no, know, that was my lot in my in my first year. So you have to study for VCA, it was HSC as it was then. Um, also get yourself to training and play and uh, yeah. So they, they, now they wanted to meet a board with a, a lady who some other guys are boarded with over the time country recruits and Ian Payton, um, obviously Tasmanian. He was the year before me. And he said, "No, don't go and live there." He said it's horrible. So (laughs) I said to the club, "I'm not living there (laughs) because she was bursar at the school." So actually, and uh, so I went and lived with a family in (laughs) Box Hill (laughs) North. And you had to grow up quickly. Yeah, you do. I mean, in those in those days, uh, yeah, that because you have to fend for yourself in many ways. I mean, the club were great compared to other clubs in the welfare. I hate the word welfare, but in looking after you. Um, what you hear of other clubs you were know, actually doing at the time, but it's nothing like today. It's poles apart. And then we had the great John Kennedy as coach, which was um, uh, very physical training. Um, it's uh, very tough uh, man-on-man stuff. I remember one of my first nights, I had a new pair of Adidas boots, which were <laughs> tough, plastic-type, the cheapest ones <laughs> you could get, they gave me, and, um, and I had blisters. We are doing a fair bit of running. And I thought, oh, I'll go and tell John, and I've got big blisters on the on the heels. And Mark Scott, who played Hawthorn, Hawthorne and then went to some Kilda and Fitzroy, um, was just starting at the same time. And he went up to John and said, oh, I've got blisters, John. He said, that's okay, Mark. He said, just run 15 laps and then you can go in. And I thought, oh, perhaps my blisters are okay.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and another story about John, which I've he oh, got heaps of stories about John. He was fantastic. But when he came back as chairman of selectors to Alan Jeans, he, him and Jeans were quite good friends. And Yab was coaching his first year. I remember we were playing an intra-club practice match at Glenfree Oval. And um, it, you now it's Browns against Yellows. And we had the VFL umpires. And I was at half-back flank. And it seemed to need an inordinate amount of time before the you know, before the game started. And, I think and John's on the, on the Linda Crescent side. Great booming voice. What's going on, umpires? What are you doing? And he said, oh, John, we haven't got a ball. Don't worry about that. Blow the whistle and get the game going. <laughs> 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 I stood there laughing. I <laughs> it was It was John.
0: Now, yeah. Shane Crawford yeah. played a premiership in his 305th and final game. You played in a flag in game number nine. That's it all came greedy. around very quickly. That's greedy.
2: Yes. I, I must admit, it's all, it's all the sliding doors moment, isn't it? It's all timing. It's luck. Um, I know that Barrackford-Collingwood would have gone to Collingwood. They finished last that year. You like so,
1: Jake Bowie
2: yeah. coming into Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, very much so, I suppose. Uh, so it was my ninth game. At the start of the year, Peter Mnane, because I was a winger in those days, was best on ground in the first game of the year. I thought, oh, I'm not going to get a game. Stuart Trott came back from injury. They tried uh, a whole range of different players, and I can't remember whether it was form or injury or whatever, Players are out and I got my game, my first game in round 16 against Carlton, which was a big game we lost. Didn't do much um, and then fortunately played a good game next game or two and fortunately be able to stay in. So yeah, I, I don't think you realise the enormity of the situation at the time and I think you, as I got older and as you would appreciate when you, at your age, I mean my last one was at 28 and you appreciate that more than you did the, the first one or first two because it happened so quickly. And you're just playing a role on the team and things fell fell that way. Um, but fortunately then, you now we won one another two years after that.
1: But you were playing a running role too, so you obviously had good endurance.
2: Yes, I was reasonable endurance. I wasn't one of the top five or six. I probably had more speed and probably you know, that I could read the game okay. I, um, footy uh as far as aerobic i probably could have pushed myself a bit harder Shane i think i now we in those days used to do the uh the 4k time travel not the, not the 2k mine was best was about 14 15. But we always used to try to get 14.45 or something like that just, yeah. to, just to get under the barrier. <laughs> and I'd always come back pre-season when we'd start in November and we'd have time trials. I always made sure my first one was my slowest and then build it up slowly. So the time March came, I thought, oh, well, he's worked hard. Over well, it, it's
1: sort of when I started, you know, some of the older players, you know, they were very much that way. They're like, nah, not showing our hand first time trial today. No, no. They'd be out the back. And they, obviously they would gradually improve, you know, as the season went. But there's something in that. You train too hard too early, you get to the start of the year, and then yeah. you've got to go and play 22 matches, and you're mentally cooked. Oh, so you I, have to you know,
2: time yourself. Oh, for sure. And, and and I think there's some merit in what the Players Association are saying. I know a lot of coaches, I don't know a coach, but I, I wasn't a coach that said, well, we've got to be super fit by Christmas. I mean, I, I didn't see the benefit of players. I, I Always, know you can never manage this because they get injuries in, in practice matches, but if you're about 95, 98% fit by first, by round one, games are going to take you up to match fitness. But sometimes, I know you can't get more than 100%, but if you do the needle too much in fitness work and you're already 100% by Christmas, if you do more, you load up, you're actually taking time away from schoolwork and you know, actual game plans. So I think, there's, I think there's something in that.
0: You are at Hawthorne for a great period of 1976 to 1987. You played in four premierships. Apart from all the top players, you mentioned some at the top of the show. What made the club so great?
2: Uh, Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I think looking back, and you hear about these feedback mechanisms now, the leading teams and all that sort of stuff, which is quite raw, but Hawthorne sort of had that in in its rawest capacity. And I think it was... I think the great John Kennedy started it all because they were embarrassment. Well, we felt they were embarrassment in the fifties, and, um, Melbourne, and Con- Melbourne and Collingwood used to used to laugh at them and play tricks and all that sort of stuff, and be be smart, Alex. And John's a very competitive individual, so it made them tough. And the training that John did was very physical, as I mentioned before, but it was really brutal. And I think that set the tone about what Hawthorne was about, and therefore the baton was passed on, and the players would challenge you. If you didn't stand up in what they in what they valued, nowadays you have meetings and you write the thing your values on the on the board, and then you're challenging the meeting. That was really done in a rawest form. So I think, and team, because John preached team, and one of his sayings was team was first, second, and third. So it was all about the team, um, and I think that was in the you know, was actually in the DNA in the in the mortar of the walls, and that's the, and that's the way you felt it, um, and I think. Parkin obviously Chase uh, obviously followed that on David being a great Hawthorne man, um, and and then Genji was very similar to that as well. So it came from the top. Um, um, you now they had some, there was some healthy egos, and there was you now there were guys who played up at times. And I think I think the same with all footy clubs. But it but it really came through that team was first. We're here for success, and guys worked hard to do that.
1: When you play with someone like a Dermot, when he's rocking up on a Harley-Davidson one day and then he's coming in a beautiful, shiny, fast car, Ferrari or Lamborghini, you know, there's something about it. There's something that, um, I don't know, with Dermot, you just can't help but like someone like that. And it just lifts the spirits, you know, because you go, no, I wouldn't operate like that. But something... He, he's him a very engaging everyone. character, isn't yeah.
2: he? That smile, you can see on telly. He's a, and he really, like he, he, he has got a huge ego, but it's a lovable ego. It's not a, it's not a, some guys have got egos that are just pains in the backside and you say, well, you don't want to know about you. But, but interesting with Derm, when he first started, and this didn't get sold, he was the bogan from Frankston. He would try and dress. He'd try and buy some nice clothes, and he'd have the worst <laughs> shoes in the world. And say, so, "What crap are you wearing, Dermot?" And he would go, "What? Do you, what? You know what do you mean?" I said, "What are those? those shit shoes? You wouldn't wear them out to do a shit fight." And he goes, "Oh, okay. I need to." So he. he so just, he's taking he, fashion advice from someone from Tasmania who had no idea either. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to bag him.
3: <laughs> the winter chill is in the air, but the AFL is only heating up. With TAB's same game multi, you can combine your favourite AFL markets like head-to-head, total points, and anytime goal scorer, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. Available on every AFL game played this round. Check it out on the TAB app today. TAB, long may we play
2: gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1-800-858-858.
0: Throughout your Hawthorne career personally and as a team so successful, I think the one speed hump you probably hit as a player was being dropped for a grand final when your form was arguably as good as it had ever been.
2: Yes, uh, I was 85. That was a real kick in the in the backside. I, the week before in the preliminary final, I got votes in the media as well as the best and fairest. So I played. I did play well. So I had no inkling that I was going to get dropped. There was no feedback mechanism or discussion about it. Um, so I we went to the grand final parade on the Friday. Uh, still training. didn't know? No, still didn't know. Oh, grand final parade, I'm up and about. Parents are flying over from Tassie. Oh. Get to back to Glenfrey over where we had our team meeting, uh, generally, so four o'clock, and yeah, pulled me aside and said, you're not in, son, we're not going with you. It wasn't the time for me to challenge that and ask why and have a discussion and I said oh, no, I'll come in the meeting so I was stunned I didn't know what so I got out um, parents were already on the plane whole range of different emotions as you'd imagine I had the, had the shits and said well I'm not going to go I know because the seconds were going to play that next day as well um, the grand final so um, I said I'm not going to turn up and I thought oh well I'm the only one that's going to lose out of that I'll go and I won't try I don't care um, so, oh, I said, nah. and as I walked in the ground I said oh no it's best to because Nightsy was playing, Bucky was playing, Michael Byrne. There were some really good players playing in the seconds. And, wow. Uh,
1: that's, that's an incredible seconds yeah. when you think about
2: and, it. And uh, Chris Whitman was young. Um, dear Jimmy Morrissey, the freak, was playing. Um, I think the side was that good in the seconds that Brett Lovett, who played 180 games for Melbourne and played for Victoria, was an emergency for the twos.
1: Jeez. Oh, my goodness. Well, there was a great history with you know Hawthorne blooding you know players who deserved to be in the seniors, but not nah, kept them in for an extra couple of seasons yeah, just think, to get the grounding. And then I think oh, Tuckey played
2: me? fifty or sixty, seventy yeah. um, seconds ago. Dipper did. I think Jimmy Morrissey did. Um, nowadays, those players would be disenchanted and say, "Well, I want to play senior footy," and they actually go and the salary cap and those sorts of things. But in those days, you could keep them. There wasn't a mechanism really for players to go. That was all control of the, of the clubs. Uh, so I went along, and I think uh, you now they gave me the captain for the day as a token gesture. Um, we ended up beating Carlton, who had Glasgow and English and Rod Austin and that sort of um, situation. So, And I watched the seniors privately, fingers crossed, hoping they'd lose. Yep. And uh, they got belted. So that they put David Halloran in for the first game for the year uh, to play on Salmon. Salmon was yep. at the height of his uh, powers at that stage, or, or actually... In towards height of his powers. So I could understand that, but I thought there were other players who were playing my sort of role that I, I could probably be inside. Were
0: well, you tempted to leave on the back of that? Obviously, you're glad you didn't. You started, you played in further premierships, but was that a bit of a sliding doors moment?
2: That was the start of it. Obviously, it was the biggest issue. And then in 86, I got dropped a couple of times, which happens. And I think your ego gets pricked and you probably think you're better than what you are. Um, then got back in and played well in the final series and played, played in the in the grand final on the premiership 87 got dropped again and I thought again ego just thing and then he was coaching the Bears and said would you interest in coming up there and I said yeah I would so, so that was that was how that happened
0: that was at the end of the 87 season and then from 88 on this would be a theme song
2: what our words do we love to hear dare to beat the best. we're tough we're keen we're king. We're, good. we're a team we Gee, I must admit, I'd never sung that before.
0: We didn't win a game. How motivational, Crawford's to run out uh, after that's hearing not that. a bad
1: song, yeah. I, I never heard it a great deal as well. Obviously, didn't win a lot of matches. But when you think about it, you've done so much. You go to Sydney, you go to Gold Coast, you're in Melbourne, you're in Hobart. Um, you've certainly seen a lot, which is great. So how was that, starting up a a new club and trying to be competitive? How and not only that, you're travelling as well. Yeah. So no one had their sports science back then. It's just more or less, oh, will just butter up next week. So how did you cope with all of that?
2: Yeah, I went in there second year. So I started the year before in 87. And then 88 it was myself, Rod Lester-Smith from Hawthorne, Roger Merritt and Scott McIver from Fitzroy. So, um, I put the, so it was interesting going there that the club had been started up, which was poorly set up by the VF on those days, that clubs could had to nominate two players to go to the best, And generally, they were players who were retiring. Mm-hmm. Carlton gave a player who was going to be a doctor in London. Um, or the, they, were, yep. they were the guys who were obviously at the back end. So there really, really was a mishmash. The guys were terrific guys, but quite a few of them had some good talent, but they lacked the motivation to be actual professional footballers. And so they, I think they won their first two or three games under night. So they did a really good job, and then eventually... I think yep. the social life kicked in a bit too much, and oh, yeah. so so going there the second year was about trying to rectify that, I suppose. Um, uh, but it was really difficult, yeah.
1: And that was the. Was that Christopher Skase days? Yeah,
2: Christopher Skase was uh, the owner and Paul Colourful Cronin. character. Paul Cronin was, Paul the, Cronin. Uh, was the chairman. and um, The Sullivans? That's <laughs> it,
1: yeah. Um, didn't mind it <laughs> as a show. <laughs> uh,
2: Skase we didn't see a lot and then he obviously had his issues, financials, and then Reuben Pellerman um, became the owner and then nights he got the sack, Paul Feltham became coach and for whatever reason, I think because Paul just took the shackles off, but... Then there was a player revolt and a revolt internally about getting rid of Paul Feltham. He promised four blokes, just an example, four guys that they'd be captain the next year. So he was saying different Jeez. things to different players and there was a bit of that. So anyway, so that... Maybe he was ahead of his time with multiple captains. <laughs> Maybe might <laughs> one <laughs> of And uh, so then he got the sack in the February and Norm, Norm Dare took over and they had no money. So there was no recruits. Um, so it was difficult times um, in yep. that and... Uh, I think it's all part of the learning, and then uh, the end of end of that. No, that's right. Norm, Norm became coach, and they had the seconds in the AFL, and he, I was still playing. But he wanted a senior player to be coach of the seconds, which is incredulous, really. About you know how you prepare for a game, you got to coach the two. So it's between. Oh, well, they wanted me and Choco Williams to do it together, and the board, in their infinite wisdom, said, well, "No, we only want one." Choco said, "No, I want to concentrate on my playing," and I didn't really want to do it. It was really that sliding doors moment. So it was a worse decision, football decision to go there, but it was actual career decision. It worked out okay. So Norm forced me to coach the twos. As luck would have it, I hurt my knee um MCL about round four or five, missed 10 weeks, could concentrate on coaching the twos, came back playing the twos, really enjoyed that, um, and then retired at the end of that year um, and then coached the twos the next year as well.
1: Imagine that, coaching the two, so I'm still running around. Oh, it's three-quarter time of a second. So I had to go down <laughs> yeah, and prepare exactly. for the city game. Go. Yeah, Hang on. <laughs> I've got to get, go and get ready. It's real old school, isn't it? It's fantastic. But when did Warwick Kappa come along? <laughs> uh, the Wizard
2: came... So so you didn't have money, but somehow Warwick Kappa well, appears. Well, well, now, there wasn't money after Skase went. Right. Um, so they started in 87, I went in 88. Warwick came in 89, and I think Skase then... Finished at the end of 89, I think. So that caused a few uh, fractions, uh, fractious relationships because... Because he was a colourful character? Oh, I, think, I just, think money. I think oh, a no, few yeah. players yep. with their ego said, well, why is he getting more money than us instead of just saying... Because well, well, he, well, he can play and kick goals? Yeah, but well, he didn't do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but he didn't do that because didn't they didn't kick to him, did they? No. Is that, I don't, that I don't, not yeah. true?
2: Well, I think... Two things there. One, the SCG is a smaller ground. Warwick couldn't lead. He, he wasn't a leader as far as leading for the ball because he couldn't read the game. Yep. So it was just mark and jump. She had Williams, Healy, Mitchell, and they'd kick it on heads and that sort of thing. So Warwick could do that. Bigger ground because Carrara is a big ground. Uh, or Metricon. yeah. It's a big ground. So you've got to get your leading patterns right. We weren't as good a side. So there was times that he's running to the wrong spot. So I think it was... Not just yeah. so much. Players didn't kick it to him. He's probably in the wrong spot, and we weren't as good a team. So uh, he, he's a very lovable character. Though, he Warren. is. He is a lovable rogue, isn't he? Yeah. He is. He is. He's a simple soul in many ways, and he's got his spiel that he keeps saying consistently over and over. <laughs> Do you miss me? Do you miss me? For a guy who came there under the under the deal he did, and then there was some tension, he was very good with supporters. He he would he would kids would queue up for an hour, and he'd sign everything. He was really involved in that way. I just think from a football point of view, it was probably the wrong decision for him football wise to go there.
1: Yeah, I used to um, when when he obviously finished, he would still come to Melbourne, and he would stay with Ron Barassi because I lived next door to Ron Barassi. Oh right, I was again. in an apartment, and Ron lived in uh, a little a beautiful townhouse next door. You know, I was in a yeah. dodgy apartment <laughs> in St <Saint> Kilda. <laughs> <Goddard. laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> Party so <central>. Warwick, <laughs> I used to see Warwick every couple of months, and he'd obviously come down to stay, but he'd stay with Ron Barassi. And then I'd go over to Kintani Gardens or go for a walk or, you know, get some fresh air. And then Warwick would be there, and he seriously would have his tight red
2: oh, spray painted S- Sydney
1: on. Swans footy shorts on, and, he, and he'd have a uh, cut-off tank top, and, uh, you know, get a hey, oh, Wiz, how are you, mate? What's happening? he just go, just doing a bit of a walk, you know? But, you know, if Ron's watching, he doesn't like me running or walking on the roads, so I've got to do it on the grass. So even then, obviously, Ron's philosophy was don't run on the roads, don't run on the cement, always go on the grass, even when you're walking. Yeah. So even when, obviously, Warwick had been retired and using his house as a boarding house when he came to Melbourne, um, he'd make him walk on the grass, but uh, wandering around in his nice tight shorts. And I imagine Warwick being a colourful character – he might he might have dragged a few back to Ron's house
2: at, there might at have some been. stage. would have he been quite interesting next door. He had those leopard skin shorts and leopard <laughs> skin stuff. Yeah, for old Ron we go, hey, what's happening here? <laughs> Ron comes
1: down for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> he well, I haven't seen you before. Laurie, what are you, doing? Are you doing here, son?
0: <laughs> the final kappa question for me does relate to women in his life. His wife at the time at the Brisbane Bears, is it true she gave the players a spray one time for not kicking him the ball?
2: Um, the only time I saw that uh, was a certain player um, that she went up to and uh, verbally attacked for that. <laughs> Wasn't you, was it? No, not me. No, no, no. <laughs> I've gone okay with her. I didn't get enough of the ball, so that was all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he fought back. He, he he gave her a mouthful as well. So there was a few was swear morning. words going on and back on some is forwards. In the change room? No, no, in the oh, after no, match, okay, after yeah. that, upstairs. Yep. So, yep. Um, so uh, yeah, that was on for young and old there. So, yeah, it was true.
0: <laughs> that is unbelievable. What was the biggest difference between playing at Hawthorne and playing at Brisbane? And I'm not talking about on the field, but everything off it.
2: Well, I think it's, I mean, I think it's one just playing in Melbourne versus, you know, versus Queensland. Um, because of the, because it's very easy up there. And I think people ask you now why the the Bears, you know or why anyone any team on the Gold Coast doesn't work, and it's very especially when you've got so many young kids. They can escape. They don't get any criticism. Even if your coach doesn't hop into you. You go into the coffee, you know, Crawford, and someone's asking you a question. Mm-hmm. Why? Did you, why did you lose that? Why? You know, here's my theory. Why? Why, why don't they drop? person, when they drop Dipper, he's not playing well enough, why don't, oh you play a shit game on the weekend, so you're copying it all the time, and you're copying in the media, well there, you just don't get it, and I think that's the biggest difference, you can escape and just have a normal So it's like playing country footy it's like, you can't turn up for training and you go and you go, you haven't got that intensity, I suppose, is what you get in Melbourne.
1: Everyone's just thinking about, I'll get the jet ski because the sun's coming out this afternoon. And the, weather, and the weather's beautiful. Yeah, yeah the weather. it is. And it's it a helps recovery. It helps different. recovery. I know. It's such a wonderful place to train, yeah. you know, and obviously recover. Um, but it is a very yeah. different environment. Yeah. And the AFL, they even through the top of New South Wales and Queensland, you know, think, oh, AFL's really coming on. They've still got a lot of work to do oh, because yeah. you even read the papers. Where's the AFL news? No, that's right. The Gold Coast Bullies that's, all that's about the league rugby. So league. there's no discussions in the cafe about no. AFL footy.
2: No. No one really cares. No, that's right. They don't get recognised, which yeah. you can see in an egotistical way, but it's more the other way. It increases that intensity. I've got to perform. So you, I don't know what you're like. I'm. But I imagine you'd start thinking about the game on a Tuesday or Wednesday about who I'm playing on, the way they play, you get that feedback and and you might have had a bad game the week before so you're actually getting your mindset where there it's a bit more relaxed. You're not getting the intensity and you're probably not building up to Thursday, Friday and yeah. um, I don't know if or lack of care is the right word and I don't think it is but it's just that intensity build up that can actually, and that's why I think so many older players like going to Sydney Mm. and Queensland at the end of their career because that intensity and scrutiny has worn them down they want to be anonymous and want to enjoy the footy and they can get themselves up each week yeah. whereas a young player you've got to learn that how to actually motivate yourself to get that right each week
0: and they need that drive
1: well, Luke Hodge went up and he, he couldn't believe it he's like he oh, "It's like I don't exist up here yeah. Um. So and obviously he's stayed up there yeah, you know yeah. so there's def- definitely something in there and you know whether it be players like you know if, if You know, I can understand why Buddy Franklin decided I need to get out of Melbourne, you know, and whether or not it it might be a Dustin Martin who says, hey, I might sort of head up to the Sydney way or even up to Queensland.
2: So, um, But even my time, Plugger was obviously an example. Barry Hall, Wayne Swass all went to the Swans and they said they really just like being anonymous. They can get themselves up each week because they're experienced enough and they pride in their performance and know what what needs to be done. But they like that being anonymous and they can just live their life. Where if you're an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid, you go, well, how good's this? I can can do what I like. So um, I think that's why the success of those older players when they go there.
0: Now, from 1996 to 2002, you coached the Swans. Tell us about how that came about.
2: Yeah, I, I'd coached North Melbourne. I'd been at North Melbourne for four years, coached the flag there, which was probably as good for my learning as well, being under Dennis. Certainly learnt a lot. Then at the end of 95, it was Fitzroy, Brisbane and the Swans. Uh, Fitzroy offered me the job and I wasn't trying to be egotistical. I know it sounds egotistical, but I said, "Oh, listen, I hear you've got financial issues, which is not a big, but I'm hearing, a, are you going to survive? Can you just wait a few weeks? I've got these other teams. If I get that job, I'm going to take them. Yep. And they were good. They said, yeah, no worries. We'll, we'll sit and wait. I thought I'd get the Brisbane job, having been there. Um, but as it's turned out, uh, I went to Sydney. I met the Sydney, it was Kelvin, Templeton, Rick Quaid, and a bloke called Greg Harris, who was the chairman of selectors, and uh, met them here. Then I went for a meeting in Sydney as a presentation, and then they flew me back up again um, a week or so later, and... Um, So here's your house at Bondi? No, Um, I wasn't like that No, no, I bought a little terrace house in Randwick
1: A a little,
2: yeah, Randwick A
1: much sought after suburb where everyone wants to live Just down down the road from
2: Bondi They are very small houses though Little, five meters across. That was that was it. No parking. No
1: garden. Just opposite Centennial Park. There. No, no, not down that far. Oh, no, no, yeah, sure. No, no. Come on, mate. Just
2: behind the dog. You know the dog. The Duke of Gloucester Hotel. Yes. Just yeah. behind the dog. Not so. a bad spot. Yes, yeah, all right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Probably get one of those these days for 15, 20 mil. So. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> but when you think about your mentors from a coaching point of view, you know, playing days. John Kennedy, Alan Jeans, uh, then Robert. Walls, Yeah, David
2: Parkin. David
1: Parkin. Dennis Pagan.
2: Dennis Pagan. Unbelievable. Like if you
1: can't learn something from all those guys, they're all very different themselves.
2: Yeah, they are. And I think that's the advice I always give prospective coaches is don't try and be like somebody else. Be yourself. Coach to your own personality. Some are uh, are gregarious and that's your nature. Be that. So you have to be authentic. If you're quiet and you're just uh, measured, just be like that. You don't have to be like the great orator John Kennedy, and that would, that scared me, and that's why uh, when David became coach, and he was a great talker as well, and I thought, she she was, you have to be a great speaker, and I wasn't a great speaker, and I'm thinking, I don't want to coach, no, I know I don't want to coach, even though I had a reasonable idea on footy, and, and, I, and I threw David's all his notes out, he was the first one to do reviews, and great thought, and I said, nah, convinced myself that I wasn't going to be coach, so, uh, but looking back, if, yeah, certainly very fortunate. And, and Hawthorne were very fortunate to have those guys because Ginger was terrific. Uh, David, I think, the guy who's coached four premierships. So I think he gets a bit, not undersold, not the right phrase, but he doesn't get spoken in the Barassi and Hafey and Kennedy level. He can motivate you to eat a hamburger. Yeah, he's David been Parkin. A great speaker, isn't he?
1: Oh, it, like, can you tell me why I should eat this hamburger and all of a sudden yeah.
2: you're launching the into it because, yeah, he does. You should be, eating it because yeah. of this. Because the- he's got great passion, he's yeah. high intellect. And he's very scientific in his approach as well. But at the same time, he. he, Now, he's one coach that can draw on emotion as well as science and that sort of thing. I suppose his only criticism of himself was that he wasn't a tactical person, but that's not the be all and end all either. But he was. He was, a good coach.
1: he was a good coach. So what about yourself? Were you a quiet coach? Because I've heard some footage in the box of you uh, yelling yeah, at one stage.
2: Against I do, used to yell a lot. And don't <laughs> well, tell me Clarkson didn't yell in the box. Have you been in the box with Clarkson? Never. Yeah, no, yeah.
1: I didn't. He wasn't a rant. Oh, a rant. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he on. was punching wool. So, <laughs> so he's that way because it's, it's a, a tough job. You don't th- stop thinking about footy. 24 hours a day no, no, no. from a coaching point of view. Not that I've coached, but I can understand that you it, take you your wouldn't. work home
2: with you. Yeah. yeah and you share at walls and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So um, family life suffers a bit.
1: What about the incident with um, Will Miss? I love it because it just shows it's a passionate <laughs> coach and you weren't alone. You know, you just happened to get, you know, have someone recording when you're actually yeah, in
2: recording. And the fact is, Will never heard it. Yeah. Until when you he heard the recording, because <laughs> it's in the box, so it's not directed to his face. What was
1: he doing wrong on
2: the day? <laughs> well, he didn't want to come off.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I'd had chat with, have a chat with him a few, to the players when you're told to come off by the runner, get off yep. as soon as you can because it affects our rotations and uh so i said get him off <laughs> so i was actually abusing <laughs> the runner i wasn't abusing i wasn't a, he came across as well but that was over a two and a half hour period and they put it into a minute and a half so i actually no I'm embarrassed about it but i feel sorry for will as well because i oh, no, don't be
1: embarrassed yeah. about it. it's an emotional game so what, what what's the biggest spray you've ever given i know Quinny was probably going to ask you at the end of the show but See, in the box i was and i tried is to, there a player there that you've just surely Derek. You've gone, okay, right, I'm just going to absolutely blast away. Because well, you coached Tony Lockett. Do you ever blast him? No, I'm scared. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, think, I think the, um, as Rob Murphy said to me, he said, I think you're getting a, you, know, you actually get dealt a bad hand about, it. you didn't give as many sprays as people were saying. I said, no, I didn't really. Um, and a lot of it was theatre. You'd have an impact. And, uh, and the, the way you say it, some you don't. Um, and some players respond to it. Like Brian Lake responded to it all the time. Yeah. But he needed him. Oh, you—you you know, you. Oh, yeah. You've heard. Well, he, the he stories was, I hear out of Hawthorne, they say, "Oh, he's so much better at Hawthorne." I oh, knew he was exactly the same as Hawthorne. He wasn't the Bulldogs. Like he wasn't any different. And um, <laughs> he just wasn't allowed to kick the ball. Yeah, as much. he yeah, he'd just kick off one step and like, train when he wanted. And it, uh, <laughs> and I, in the end, I said to Brian, because Brian and I had a pretty good relationship. He was quite funny, Brian, and I still kept in touch with him. And and I said, Brian, I said, are you seeking me? I'm an He said, Yeah I am. I said, I'm sick of doing it. I said, Can you do what we ask? Yes. Yep. Can you do what we ask and what your teammates want? Yeah, yeah, I'll try I'll try that. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. I said, Oh, thanks, Brian. That's all you have to do. <laughs> but I said to him, If I'm if you do if you're doing things that we're asking you not to do and I give you a serve and I get a response, what is that telling me? Yeah. Telling me to give you a serve every time because I'm getting a response. There's one time because Brian used to fancy himself as a forward. He wanted to play full forward. So when <laughs> yeah. we were playing the West Coast Eagles in Perth, call cool, seven o'clock on the morning, Saturday morning. Brian's woken up physio. Brian's woken up with a bad back. Oh, really? He's got a bad back. Okay. Who was, who was forward for West Coast at that
1: time that he might have been playing on? Would have been, you know, someone that might have scared him a touch. No, no, no. no he's
2: just no, a bit no, sore. No, he just sore. I said, you tell Brian. If he gets himself up, I'll start him full forward. Sure enough, I'm right. Two minutes in the first quarter, I'll put him to full (laughs) forward. that's fantastic. G'day, punters. Once again,
0: we're going to Tab's leading bookmaker, Bart Kennett, for the Sunday play. Bart, what have we got this week? We're offering $4 for Tom Mitchell and Andrew Brayshaw to combine for 65 or more disposals on Sunday afternoon. We get to look to your Hawks this week and I reckon this is a matchup Tom Mitchell really looks forward to. His career average disposals against the Lions is an incredible 34 and that includes 2020 when the quarters were shortened. While Sprayshaw, well he's in career best form, he's averaging around 30 disposals a game. He has really lifted for the Dockers in the absence of five. As a player, Croft, were the matchups that you knew suited your game more than others, Mitchell must be licking his lips this week. Yeah, he'll have a lot of
1: confidence, and he'll take on probably Lockie Neal through the middle. That'll bring out the very best in him. And Brayshaw, well, what a season he is having. His roles change a little bit. He's coming through the middle a little bit more, and uh, he has the ball on the string. So I love it.
0: Thanks for that, Bart. Thanks for that, Crawf. And remember, Punders, you can find the offer on the Tab app. Offer available online only. Price subject to change and subject to liability cap. No multi-bonus cash cash cash-out. Partial cash-out or live bets qualify. See market page for details. Gamble responsibly. Gamblers help. 1-800-858-858.
2: Another time we're playing Hawthorne. (laughs) And you might have been playing. We're playing down in 2008. Right. And um, both teams are undefeated about round 10. So we've had a draw. Um, Hawthorne undefeated and we're it, cause we always wanted to say Brian, don't kick on your left. Change pace because he's quite quick, but he wanna kick off one step and stop and want a short pass. And I said, just change pace yeah. and kick along. That's all we just keep it simple. Anyway, so at three quarter time we're a couple of goals up and it's quite one's up and about and you're walking around place and all of a sudden you hear this I feel this tap on my left shoulder. <laughs> yeah, Brian? did you see that left foot kick I did? It was a bloody good <laughs> kick, wasn't it? And I, could, I was nearly going to piss myself off laughing. I said, piss off, Brian, will you leave me alone? That's the sort of relationship yeah, we had. He'd yeah. come up and like, he was just happy with himself that his left foot kick hit the target and he was going to tell me about it. Yeah, yeah There were
0: some other characters you coached along the way that would stand out like that and they might not have necessarily been the best player, but they were fun for those reasons. Oh and frustrating at the same time. There's a,
2: there's a, there was a lot of them. Um, what, what
1: about Tony Lockett? You know, trying to coach someone like that surely.
2: I had a funny know, story about Tony. It's uh, he's a different character. Yeah, I, I, one where about the Bulldogs, a guy called Shane Burse. He was from the country. Very funny of Blake. and um, now it was quite intense at times. And and I'm and I'm trying to give the analogy of cricket that if you're fielding and slips, you want the ball to come to you. So in football, yeah. you want the ball to come to you. Don't sit back and you know, actually worry about mistakes you know back yourself and i said why does shane warnefield in first slip and shane burst it's because he's fat and he doesn't want to run
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and robert murphy looked at me. robert murphy said to me oh i don't know where this is going to go <laughs> and i just started laughing i said very good Burst. yes <laughs> um but Plugger, you know you stories about him you know it's in Kilda and the Puncher of ceo and and drink a six pack of beer on the way to training, and didn't want to train. So <laughs> Daryl Baldock, I can't train tonight. Pull a gun
1: on uh, Michael Roberts. Uh, yeah, when the Channel Nine popped down. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I often
2: tell that story when I have a, <laughs> when I do a sporty.
1: About well, Spud was the one that kept telling me. I said, "That's not true." She no, says, I asked Plugger,
2: and No, he I asked, oh, I might have. Yeah, I ask, know, well, I, I've, I've, I I say it's a shotgun, but it was only a twenty-two. And he shot it above <laughs> his head and Robbo pulled his pants right back. <laughs> on so you he hear all these stories and you go, "Oh my God!" But he was fantastic to coach, and um, only had a couple of run-ins, which I feared for my life in both times. But um, but one story that I think is really funny and it sort of encapsulates him a bit. That um, part of my coaching at the Swans, uh, the last meeting before the weekend, the I go in mean, team meeting, and I randomly asked two, three, four players what they'd know about upcoming opponents because they they get fed everything. Information, edits, highlights, whatever it is, upcoming opponents. Um, And I wanted them to do their own own homework and they didn't want to get embarrassed in front of their mates. Now, Plugger didn't know many players in the competition, let alone (laughs) opponents. He knew Steve Silvani, Mick Martin, (laughs) Alice Lynch was playing fullback and he knew Ashley McIntosh. He'd played five times on Matthew Croft and still didn't know who he was. And he goes... So invariably going to these meetings, you know, Paul Kelly or Andrew Dunkley or Darren Cruz will come up and say, Rocket, can you ask Plugger today? Because we want to piss ourselves <laughs> laughing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no worries. Anyway, this one weekend. We're playing the West Coast Eagles. And sure enough, Kel comes up, says, Rocket, can you ask Plugger today? Don't ask him about McIntosh. Can you ask him about somebody else? Yep. He doesn't know Cousins. He doesn't know Jackovic. He doesn't know McKenna. He doesn't know Material, He's got no idea who they are. No, Those will be fun. And it's interesting we've just to set the scene about yeah. as if I'm not going to see him. Players sit in the same spot yeah. every time in a team meeting. I've asked netball girls and whatever. They sit in the same So there's 16 stones, sit in the front between Kelly and Dunkley. So I go through my match-ups and some words of wisdom, some, some motivation, et cetera. And I say, Mikko Lachlan, what do you know about Waterman? What do you know about McKenna? Short Maxfield, what do you know about David Hart? What do you know about Matera? I ask someone else. And here's the big fella sitting in the front with his <laughs> elbows on his knees. his head in his hands, like the little boy in the English class that doesn't want to be picked out for reading, as if I couldn't see him. I said, Tone. I always got him Tone, our respect and fear. I said, Tone. He said, yeah, mate. I said, what do you know about Braun? He said, his dad owns a shaver company. <laughs> <laughs> and with, with, with that, he got up. He said, stick that up your backside and walk out of the room. <laughs> oh, that's good.
3: The winter chill is in the air, but the AFL is only heating up. And with Tab's same game multi, you can combine your favourite AFL markets like head to head, total points, and anytime goal scorer all in the one bet to get bigger odds. Available on every AFL game played this round. Check it out on the Tab app today. Tab, long may we play.
2: Gamble responsibly. Call Gamblers Help 1 800 858 858. You mentioned
0: one or two run-ins with him. <laughs>
2: Tell us about that. Um, well, one was about his groin um, in 97, which is, if you look back, quite infamous. He had a really bad groin. And people say he didn't want to train. But we'd heard that he'd been running 6 or 7K at night on a Wednesday night. So I spoke to him about it and said, oh, and he plays along with you for a while about anything. And then eventually gets to a tipping point and he said, shut up. He said, the physios and the sports scientists got no idea what they're talking about. I know my body and I'm bloody running. What are you going to do about it? I said, well, there's not much I can do, Tony. <laughs> I said, I just want to... You're such a valuable player. I just don't want to wreck you by the weekend. That's all. We're trying to help you. with." Okay. And that, that was it. The other one was um, we played... in the start of 97, we played Port Adelaide in Port Adelaide and we won you know, eight points, ten points. And Tony kicked three goals, five, or kick four, whatever it was, and um, Peter Philandia kicked five, and anyway, so I came down the back of the rooms at at um, at, at Westlakes, and they come in the front, everyone's happy, and I said, well done, and um, and I see Tony sulking a bit, so I walked down, what's the matter, he said, oh, I'm just pissed off, you know, I should have kicked eight, he put all this mm-hmm. pressure on himself, in mass. I got playing on wasn't that great. I should have kicked eight. I said, Yeah, but you've kicked four. You've given four. You did give four away. I don't care. I said, that's a trouble with you, nothing, but it I said, enjoy the win. It's nothing, you bloody big and bloody selfish so-and-so. And I went, Oh shit, what did I say that for? His eyes are rolling and I'm going, like the courageous winger I was, I went down the <laughs> other side of the other side of the room. And then um on the Monday, um, all chirpy and said, Come here, mate. He said, I'm not bloody selfish, all right? I said, I oh, know you're not, mate. I know you're not. It was a <laughs> slip of the tongue. <laughs> so I went out of the chat, and he was all right. I said, just explain. I said, it's about the team winning, and you no, know, the way you contributed was fantastic. You know, you're involved in eight goals. And he got up, and he said, all fine, all smiles. He said, but I'm not bloody selfish. I said, gotcha. I fear for my life.
0: (laughs) Don't use the S word ever again. (laughs) You get to Sydney in that 96 season, it is just quite unbelievable because Barassi had sort of set it up nicely, but the way you took it to that next level was unbelievable. Walk us through the journey and that grand final.
2: Yeah, yeah, obviously Ron had given the place um, some credibility um, in the city uh, as well. And uh, I think they just missed out the finals the year before. And um, and he blooded some kids. And then fortunately we were able to recruit Stuart Maxfield, Craig O'Brien and Kevin Dyson, which helped us, who were not superstars but they're good players. And um, Ruzy was there the year before as well was Tony. Um, so you know, we never set up that way. So we lost our first two games. First one, my first game was by 80 points in Adelaide. And then we lost to Fremantle at home, which no one lost to Fremantle in those days. So... It was, like, was like pressure was mounting. I'm like, two games in. Well, what am I doing here? Like, <laughs> uh, I just start doubting yourself. And anyway, as luck would have it, next week we played Collingwood, and we were five goals down, quarter time, end up winning the game, and then lucky to beat Richmond next week by a few points. Drew with Essendon, who were a really good side at the time, Then we went to Perth. And lost to the Eagles, but I think that was the turning point. That game we lost by ten points. They were probably the best side in the comp, and that game. Then we won thirteen in a row, and um, so we now now the flooding took off, which wasn't by design as such. Even though uh, the players embraced that, it caught the opposition off guard. It, it's helped us, and then we won the first one against you guys, I think, yeah. in '96, uh, uh, which was a good game. Um, and always, if I see Dutchy Holland every time that Darren Krezer couldn't jump over a matchbox um, marked over the top of Dutchy Holland, in the goal mm. square.
1: <laughs> Believe it. <that. Yeah. laughs> and Kreser <laughs> didn't say anything either. No, no, he, he was, never liked
2: very, yapping out there. He's very quiet, Kreser. <laughs> and um, but Tony didn't play the last home and away game, which we needed to beat West Coast to finish top two, which we did, and then beat Hawthorne without Tony, and then he had another week off with the and uh, then he came back from the preliminary final, which because he had the bad grind, so that was. I'm thinking testament to him, he kicked six in the grand final. He's got such a high pride level in his performance, puts a lot of pressure on himself, and he was never going to play Paul in the grand final. So I think the preliminary final, he might have kicked a couple, but he kicked that point at the end, and there was questions in the box whether he's had the leg to be able to kick it, so he's kicked that 55 or so, and uh, it was a bit, uh, it was fairly euphoric.
0: And that prelim, a lot of people identify that game and that win that really established the AFL in Sydney when the pubs across the state were packed watching the Swannies and everything like that. It was such a landmark victory.
2: Yeah, it was. And the stories we heard, you know, the pubs even around the ground had packed and you now they turned off Rugby League to watch the Swans. And I think that was the time that they were accepted in the city as one of their own. Obviously, Rugby League were trying to, through the media and that, to are trying to circumvent us. But um, I think that was the really the acceptance of the the Swans being as part of the Sydney fabric?
1: I always respected the Swans because back then, TV-wise, the Sunday game was always the Swans. So, um, you know, even when I was sort of 15, 16, 17 on TV were the Sydney Swans. So you got to know their players more than others. So they started to build and build and build, but then obviously be able to take them to the finals. And get that momentum going. probably felt like you almost had the keys to the city.
2: Um, Yeah, I suppose you might, but you never really were going to take over rugby league as such. But I think just the acceptance within the city, I think the players were, you know, it was a good group. Um, And I think, you know, we exceeded our own expectations. No, even the the season campaigners there was like, you know, it was a bit one out of the box. Everything everything fell into place. Um, And I think from that year up until now, I think, the Swans have only missed the finals three times mm. in that it's at, uh, nearly 30 years. So Unbelievable. 26 years. So, so they've done a pretty good job.
0: Tell really? us about 2002 when it all came to an end.
2: Yeah, I got the sack. What do you want to know? Is
1: that during the year? Like, or, yeah. yeah, I, I got, spoke, I got
2: spoken to that, listen, we're not going to renew your contract. Right. No. <clears throat> and if people say, the coaches say, oh, no, no, they're just not going to renew my contract. Well, you're sacked. It's in the end of story. It's, there's but, no other way around. it. But it's
1: a it's a tough job because you know I'm going to go and coach, but you know that pretty much everyone gets sacked, that's yeah. the way the coaching.
2: It, yeah, it does. there like, we go around it the words. And then, yeah. as you
1: said, with you know they didn't renew your contract, so it's like so, well. So I they told got a me job. about
2: six weeks to go or something, and I said, well, there's no sense really coaching because they know that I won't be here, and yeah. it doesn't help the players, doesn't help the club. Um, and always, even even my dad, but certainly Hawthorne was all about club first. So uh, it's best I moved on.
0: So. And were you shattered, or were you thinking, "Okay, I did really well here, freshen up, and go again at another team"? How were you looking at it at the time?
2: Uh, I think, as as Shane said, you know, you know that you are realistic. You know it's going to end. Even oh, I was forty odd that stage. You are still naive about the politics and the background. You know, you hear about it, but until you are a victim of it, where. People are nice to your face, but they're actually saying other things.
1: Yeah. And, 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 that, and that's a just point. Like, how, how do you deal with it? Because that's, that's one of my biggest pet hates is like you go, right, we're all in, but then you've got a board and all this talk and, and, and leaks that get out from there yeah. into the media. You're like, hang on, we're, we're all meant to be together. You're, we're all meant to have each other's backs. We're all meant to be heading in the one direction, yet you've got people, you know – talking behind your back so I can't mentally cope with that I'm like do you know what if we're not all in this together including board and direction you know we're in big trouble
2: yeah and that's there's a few administrators and you hear things I mean just come and say listen you're really struggling anything we can do to help but I don't know how it's going to be at the end of the year I don't know what I'm going whether they think that certain people can't handle that and they're what that person's is going to say and that may be their view but certainly from my point of view no. I give direct feedback. I like direct feedback. So just let me know where we're at. Okay, we'll work out the best solution and going forward. So, you know, you're reading the tea leaves, you hear some things. So looking back, what I was saying was the right thing, but I wasn't a good stress carrier at the time. So the players could tell that I was under stress and uh, the way I was saying things rather than what I was saying. And I think with those... Words in the background that was adding to that instead of being able to alleviate that pressure and stress, stress and pressure and say, listen, you're probably not going to survive, but anything we can do to help, what do we think we can do to do? Okay, the, you know, what we're looking for is the best for the team and the best for the club.
0: You look back on that Swans era, it's so successful, you really put them on the map. What are you the most proud of?
2: Um, I think that coming into a, even though they'd been there Oh, five or six years I suppose a bit Oh no, a bit more 10 no that's right 14 15 years yeah um, and they were pioneers and they did a great job I think being able to set a foundation um, obviously the finals that we played I think four out of seven or five out of seven or what it was um, but be able to set a foundation and, and start with the culture about what the what the what the bloods are about um, so I, I think more of that uh, than anything.
1: Um, what, and what about the SCG? Because it's unusual. Every time we used to play at the yeah, SCG, it, it was hard. Like the the centre half forward and the half forwards would complain. Yeah. Because hey, we can't get our running patterns going and you know, our defenders. It, we just couldn't work it all out. No. So it was a bit of an advantage, wasn't it, there for a while?
2: Oh, for sure. And I think <laughs> when I first started coaching, I knew that players play in their positions. Half forward flanks play half forward flanks. The fifty arc is never fifty. In the no, it's, 40, it's forty-five or something. Yeah. So and oh, that throws you and, out and, of wank. And Kicking to centre half forwards a dangerous spot because it's turnover, its back the other way. So with the way we played it was more about players get up the ground and not play your position. So we weren't really worried about position. So we try and, and everyone went man on man. It was a man-on-man game, so I start to throw blokes behind the ball, and they just get followed. And we'd have ten behind the ball, <laughs> and have four in the three in the forward line. And Tony's got so much space. So it wasn't until later that then teams started to work out. Okay, there's no sense following these guys. Um, so you start tag players behind. So you wouldn't play position. So we'd start to open up. I think if you play in the SCG, play a traditional game, which they don't anymore, it was really disadvantageous. I think you need to be able to get your players up and create some space where your leading patterns are more figure eight across the ground rather than up and down. Hmm.
1: How do you think uh, Plugger would go with, you know, not necessarily today, but the last few years where lots of zoning, pushing back, extra numbers all around, knowing that the ball can't actually get to him initially. He might might have cleared out
2: a few... (laughs) He might have been reported a bit more, <laughs> especially the way with a, the match for you officer does today. I think he might have he might have been for a little tap because he 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 was a fairly aggressive. Because we did a bit of training when the first first went there about having a spare in front of him. He loved killing. He yep. he, he hurt his teammates. He really wanted his. Oh, get out of my space. So. So we actually tried to practice that for him to get used to that and have some different mechanisms. So which around. player did you use at that time? Well, it was Darren Gasper before he, oh, went, to before he went to Richmond. <laughs> that's <laughs> why <how> he <laughs> left. <laughs> yeah, that's why he went. He's like,
1: shit, I'm, I'm hate training. I'm <laughs> out of here.
0: Now, the end of the 2004 season, you're like a young young Shane Crawford at a nightclub, just interest from everywhere. Because there's vacancies at Richmond, Hawthorne, the Western Bulldogs and Adelaide. Tell us about how you got to the Dogs.
2: Um, yeah, I... Um, was spoken to by Richmond with Greg Miller and David Parkin, and I thought it was a chance through Greg, because I knew Greg from North, but they'd already made their mind up, and David Parkin agreed, uh, said that was the fact later, so anyway, and then, uh, there's a few coaches who didn't want to get interviewed by Adelaide, because I thought it was Neil Craig was over the line, but I'm not like that, you just, oh well, I'll go for the job, um, they were reasonably impressed and it was to and fro for a while then Neil ended up getting that. And um, then um, the, spoke, the Bulldogs, but Hawthorne hadn't spoken to me at that stage and I uh, was procrastinating a bit and you hear some things from people that I knew there. And um, then Dermot flew to Sydney and spoke to me on a Thursday and said, oh, no, I'd like you to coach. He said, I'm mates with some other guys, but I think... but." I said, well, mate, I'm actually going to Melbourne on the weekend to be interviewed by the Bulldogs. And if they tick some boxes, I'll accept the job if they offer me. I'm not going to be emotionally, say, play one off against the other. All right, okay, I'll get the thing, because I think it was going to be the week after. And so I had a call from Hawthorne. No, it wasn't Hawthorne. I think Dermot phoned me back and said, oh, it can be Monday. So it was a bit Mm higgledy-piggledy from Hawthorne, to be honest. I don't think they were they were down the path, they were just taking their time and thought, one of the old boys would want to coach us and they'll keep them on well, the I hold. I think
1: they were trying to work out what to do. Yeah, <laughs> like, maybe. It was a bit uh, lost at that time.
2: Then I went for an interview on the Sunday at, uh, in the city somewhere in, in Collins Street, I think it was, up the top end. And um, uh, Robert Walls, Jose Romero, Campbell Rose the CEO and there was someone else. And um, they offered me the job. They said, we don't there want to There and wait. then. I said, we don't want to, no, it's, have to go and sit in an office for a while and then they came back and said well you don't want to leave the building get your manager in and uh, they offered me the job and because the questions I wanted it wasn't anything to do with money because I probably could have got more money but it was more to do with where they saw their list what they thought of development going forwards for their facility etc., etc etc so they ticked the box and I was happy with that I thought their vision was good so I accepted that I'd already spoken to Collingwood about taking the director of coaching uh, through Ed um, so I had to phone Ed <laughs> had to phone the great, arrogant one, Jason Dunstall, <laughs> and, um, who was at a CEO's meeting because he was acting CEO at the yep. time and left a message for him, but never got a return call back, which is always Jason's <laughs> want. And so, um, yeah, I accepted the Bulldogs and I never got interviewed by Hawthorne. I never, never spoke to anyone
0: from So there. what excited you about the Bulldogs? Because at the time it was a challenging period for the club. There was going to be a yep. lot of work for you.
2: Yeah, I think their age profile... Um, which I'll get a good story about in a minute, and um, and they they were fairly realistic about where they thought they were at after a couple of...
1: And they were organised, obviously, with the meeting. You know. Yes, and, like, and, hey, and,
2: and they were impressive the way they yeah. spoke about it, and they asked some really good questions, and, um, and they had a vision about having the facilities, which they actually, uh, three years down the track, they got up and going. Um, so it might have been two years, but... Um, so yeah, it, it ticked a few boxes, um, or ticked the boxes I thought more about the footy and, and, and about where they saw they were going. Um, they were a fairly young squad, had five players who'd played over 200 games, but the rest were really young, um, so I thought there was some growth opportunities there, even though I didn't know a lot about them.
0: Tell us about the story then with the age profile.
2: <laughs> when I went to, yeah, as I said, I didn't know a lot about them, and uh, when I saw them, when I met them, how skinny they were. And I heard they hadn't done weights for quite a few years, and so there's a lot of physical development left in them as well. So, so I thought, oh well, we'll do some training Saturday mornings as well. Just some football games, you know, handball games, some small-sided games, just to so I can get a feel what they're like. And um, so one Saturday morning, uh, we had 40 players, of course, and I said, oh, can the senior players go to my left? Can the rest of the players go to my right? I just want to get an idea mentally where they saw themselves. So I had five players that played 200 games. Eight went to my left. Robert Murphy, had played 60, went to my right. So I would expect 40 players to go to my left. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you haven't played a senior game. You're playing the elite sport. And I went, oh, wow. I said, oh, shit, guys, we're not enough, enough players to play on the weekend. we only got eight <laughs> players. Oh, we didn't understand the question. So that's And I thought, you had your game plan, which, because it was a flood in Sydney, it was more defensive basis, most coaches do. And I thought we've got a bigger issue here. You know, we've got a confidence level. We've got a, an issue of confidence that they don't believe that they belong their self-esteem. So I didn't know how I was going to build that because it's very easy for coaches to say, oh, don't worry about mistake changes. But yeah. in the heat of the moment, you're going to say, well, what did, you, what did you do that for? And all of a sudden, it gets back, it gets back the other way. So um, over the next couple of months, I realised that they could kick the ball well. They had good skills and they were quick. So the old 20-metre sprint test, when I was playing at Hawthorne, David used to do it, parking under the stopwatch. There was three of us, I think, under three seconds. Um, The Swans, there were seven. There was 21. Yeah, was there really? So I thought, got speed, and they've got some – they can kick the ball. They're skinny. Okay, let's get the game plan around what they can do rather than what they can't do. Most coaches build from defence first. It was a bit the other way. Okay, let's, let's back what, what we've got in our positives. So we, so we modified the game. The number of – wouldn't work today because of, of the zone defence, but the number of bounces average per team was about four and a half a game. We went to 44 per game, run and carry the footy. So just back yourself, take the game on.
1: And probably your best player was probably the slowest, Scotty West. Yes. You know?
2: He was, but He, he was but, a ball magnet. But with that, he was able then to direct the ball – he, rather than just kicking a straight line, he was able to back his agility around it and get himself free and extricate, be able to do something with the footy. So we, um, we were 6-10 and 10 after 16 games, but I was happy with the development. And then the last six games, we won five of them. We lost to Melbourne with Jeff White, kicked a goal on the siren, and we missed out to Melbourne by half a game, making the finals. So to me, the confidence has ticked off. Uh, then we started to modify the game plan, started getting a bit more size, started to improve our contested ball, et etc. et cetera.
0: Out of all your achievements in footy, getting that Bulldogs team to prelim finals in two thousand eight, two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, could you make a case that's the gold medal winner?
2: Certainly, would have liked to go on at least another step. Um, I think two thousand nine was the year that we could have, should have at um, least get the grand final. Um, yeah, I, I think I enjoyed my time the most at the Bulldogs because of the way the club is. The players were a fantastic group to coach and be involved with, and I think they all grew up together and as far you know, similar ages, and then we added to that and Cooney and Griffin and a few other blokes along the way. Um, yeah, I think, because when I first went there, you know, wanted the players to own the team, uh, about them to have a say, and about the values and all that sort of stuff that we do, and they just didn't know what I was talking about. It was like, And then Murph and Gia come up and said, listen, Rocket, that's all well and good. Can you just teach us how to win? We just want to win. Just want to. In other words, just coach us. So it was a, it was a, a phase of being able to get their confidence and coach them at the same time, giving them some responsibility and some ownership of the team. And that eventually came to about that time, 2006 and 2007, then 8, 9 and 10 we actually... Pre- so answer your question, yeah, probably. Yeah, probably, yeah.
0: Tell us about Adam Cooney. He's
2: uh, a different cat, Coons. <laughs> uh, I, I said to Coons, "Goes is,
1: is Even when he was drafted, you, you sort of had that look about him it Was like, OK, we're going to have to really... Crack the whip with him.
2: Well, he, he was there the year before me, and he, he said publicly that he was a little bit pudgy and overweight and didn't like training too much, and then he got himself fit. I, I said to him one day, because he was really popular, you know, the guys really liked him, and he had a great sense of humour, um, but I think he liked, and I said to him one day, I said, it's okay to show some emotion that you care. I said, I think you're trying not to care to show that you're not to care. It's like you, be, mm-hmm. you get a perception. And he said, oh, how did you pick that? So it was right. And I said, it's okay to show that you care sometimes. And now you might not so much get angry, but you get down or you want to get up and about for your teammates. Um, so we understood that. But he, I think it was a real shame that he, that he fractured his kneecap because he'd won the Brownlow, fractured his kneecap, and he was never really the same player after that. And I think he would have grown to become a really... Excellent, consistent player. He was just a kid um, when he first got there and he was learning the professionalism of the game. At the same time, he was a bit of the free spirit, which is fine. You don't want to take that out of him. You don't want him to back his ability. But I think he was becoming more of a leader as, as he went on. But it was just unfortunate with his knee.
0: You had some characters at the Bulldogs during that time as well. Who were some other ones that stand out?
2: Oh, yeah, they were funny. Um, they like all footy clubs. They love playing tricks on each other and that sort of stuff. But uh, Lindsay Gilby was 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 funny. Mitch Hahn. Barry Hall, when he came, fitted in really well. He was hiding players' cars and parking them in the gym, and they couldn't find <laughs> so them. So you're not
1: going to argue with Barry, are you? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I
2: had a blue with Barry one day, but never get on really with Barry. He's a, he's a good fella, but he, uh um, um, yeah, he's a he's a big man, Baz. Um, but they, I just love. Playing all 40 40 clubs are very similar, like that. I remember my Murphy always reminds me, I said the Shane Burr story, but um, when I first got there, that Daniel Bandy was playing for the Bulldogs, it was my first year. So he's six foot six and can run athletic, didn't have a great vision of the game, like he just didn't see, just you know, see ball, get ball, and then just run and whatever happens. And we're playing one day at the MCG, and we must have lost. And DB got the ball at centre half back. Because he can run, he got the ball and like Brian Lake, he slows down, and he's looking around and he gets tackled. So after the game, I go through a few blokes, not give him a spray shame. <laughs> I said, "DB, why did that happen? That one at centre half back." Said Ray Charles would have seen him coming, <laughs> 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 and Murphy I, and that I started laughing. So just uh, so um, yeah, just run, uh, mate. Get the ball and run. Yeah. You know, use take your it on. Take the grass. Yeah, yep. Back yourself.
0: Tell us about your blue with Barry Hall. Because if I don't ask that question, people are going to say what happened, what happened, what happened.
2: Um, well, it was it was you, you. You remember the game against North Melbourne when he choked Scott Thompson to death, mm. and um, accidentally. Yeah, and I'm in the box. Get him. I said to him. I said to my runner, Brendan, I said, get him off. I said, Will you can get him a bit like the yeah. Will you get him off? Because I didn't want him to lose the flight and get and then Barry let him go, and then he's got the elbows above the ears as he's walking off. And I said, get him inside, get him in the rooms, get the cameras off him and I went in and I was calm when I spoke to him I said mate I'm just trying he said if I lose it you'll know i lose it and I was totally in control I said no worries Baz <laughs> and you were about 15 goals up that day weren't you too oh I can't remember I think we were in front but I know it was 15
0: oh <laughs> there we go well you've, you've dealt with Lockett and Hall maybe you should run courses on just how to deal with but these not only
1: that Brian Lake as well you know so you've got to throw him in yeah. the mix he's a bit left field but uh, you've got the big guys the big strong guys you know
0: and after doing so well at the Bulldogs, you finished your AFL coaching career by going back to the Gold Coast Suns from 2015 to 2017. At times when you were there, did you think, geez, I've gone back to the Bears in the late 90s?
2: Oh, when I first got there, yes. Exactly. I uh, The facilities were ordinary, but they've got, they've got great facilities now. Um, but just... Uh, because as years have, go on, have gone on, the professionals and players have has increased and the demands of clubs, and I think maybe we have go too far, as you we were talking earlier, about actually relaxing um, you know, the pressure and intensity on players. And, um, but they're doing some basic kicking drills, and they're just walking, just kicking it, and it's like, it, it's like in the country park. And <laughs> things off-field and guys, alcohol and drugs, and you go, jeez, what have we got here? like it was just really so you you're starting from scratch and then we got a lot of injuries i remember one game our first six midfielders weren't available so it was ablett swallow prestia I can't remember who it was there was the first six weren't playing so it was like i well, mean so there has to be something in that so yeah yeah it was it was frustrating
0: gary ablett one of the best we've ever seen what was he like to coach
2: he was terrific, guess. Like he, I think he gets criticised for his captaincy. So Instead of going on the captaincy first, because of who he is and how good he is, and he's a different character. Like he's, he's not a Luke Hodge, and he's not a Michael Voss, and he's not in your face. And us as the public or media like that think that's the way to be a captain. Um, he's he he does lead by example. People say, you know, he doesn't lead by example like Hodge or. But he was a great contested ball player, so he had to be tough to win the contested ball. He was fantastic at being able to win contests So he was tough enough. He was a great educator. He would spend time with players and try and help them, the body use and kicking the ball and vision. So he had a lot of boxes ticked. He, he probably wasn't a confrontational guy, so he was never going to have a tough conversation with a, a player. Now, whether that's – and probably as a leader, you need to probably have that element. You were captain for a while. Did you have – um, have to have co- tough conversation. Were you comfortable with that?
1: Well, not really. No, no but we, yeah, we had many conf- uh, at the time too. You know, conversations that would really rattle people. Yeah. You know, and then I had some good coaches who were really strong on the yeah the those confrontational discussions as well. But um, yeah, it was never easy. I was more okay, lead by example, train I, 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 train I, I, as you play that yeah, type of stuff. And, but and, yeah, um, you know, Gary Ablett, he he got I suppose the criticism. With him later on in his career, oh, he's not playing with injury, you know, which was always I, I don't really know because I wasn't well, in the in, mm. sanctum. But from what I know of him as a player, he did. He went and won his own footy, you know. Mm. He it was an amazing, consistent player. Yeah, it was just you know, as you said, you had a lot of older players fixing gaps. You had a lot of injuries when you were there. You had a club that was virtually restarting from scratch. Bit. Pretty much like the Brisbane Lions, not yep. uh, Brisbane Bears. When, yep. Yep. when it's a tough job, you know. Yep. You look at you look at the Giants now; still haven't won a flag, no. you know. Yep. Fremantle haven't won a flag, Heck you no. know. And then how long have they been going? So yeah, that's right. Yeah, it takes a while. Takes a long time.
2: I think. Um, I think with Gaz, he 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 was never really the same player after the operation yep. year before it got there. So, and he got a frozen shoulder a couple of times, which happens. And Gaz wasn't big on painkillers. He just didn't want his body to be at 40 years of age, um, be able to play through that sort of... Which is fair enough. I mean, that's that's his decision. And so he was... He waxed and waned a little bit with his body. He never had the consistency, I think, on the field. He played some terrific games up there, uh, but he did miss some games. Um, but he was very professional. He led by example. He was like Shane was a captain. He, I don't know whether as a captain you need to have those tough conversations. Paul Kelly wasn't... Wasn't big on that either, even though he was a tough player. So I think he got criticised unfairly by some people in the in the Melbourne media here and uh, because he was obviously fantastic for the club. But then in the end, he wanted to go back to Geelong. That was where he wanted to finish, and I think that was fair enough as well. I
0: don't think anyone could begrudge him that. He no. did such a good job up there. Now, you go yeah. 377 AFL games. Can you pick out two or three players that you really enjoyed coaching? They might not have been the superstars, but you just you felt like you got the best out of them, and they were really receptive to your coaching.
1: Um, I like Ryan Griffin as a player. He was a good player.
2: Yeah, he was a he's a terrific player, Griff. Yeah. Gary
1: Ablett, uh, unbelievable. You know, some of his games were just out of this world. Yeah. You, you got to see it all, really, because you had you know front row seat, plug a locket you got to I, play with Warwick Kappa. You know, you got to
2: play with Dermott, yeah, and Jason but, Dunstall. And, and I think the best player I've seen is Lee Matthews. So probably your point, I mean, the best players I've coached is probably Plugger and Kelly. Yep. Uh, Brad Johnson, West. The players I like, as a coach, and all coaches, I mean, even if a coach has got some flair and anything, and I like blokes is to express themselves, you know, you like guys who get the most out of themselves. Dale Morris was one of my favourites, yeah. like, you know, I remember the Bulldogs. So I was it was my first year. I never heard of Dale, so he couldn't play under eighteen. He never made an under eighteen squad. Never got picked. Got cut. Played for Due to Stars out in the the District lead. Then went to Werribee and was just playing the back pocket at Werribee. And because Werribee was an affiliate with the Bulldogs, their seconds played there. Our spare players played there. Leon Cameron and Chris Bond said, oh, "I think we should get him and train with us." As a rookie they liked him because you know, he was tough and comp- and we didn't have any money. Had no money. It's so the same with Liam Pickens. Good story. No money to to pay rookies. So we we I went and we went and sourced some. Um, so you handed sponsor. over a big wad that you were getting. Oh, from yeah, the coach. that's what was one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we got some sponsors and they paid half. If the, so, so Williamstown paid half of Liam Pickens. Yep. And we got half uh, from from some guys who tipped in. We got Dale Morrison, Liam Picken just just wow. like that. So the rookie list. So Dale, his first game played on, I remember we played Adelaide. He played on Rusciuto um, and Goodwin and beat them at half-back flank. So he had some of the biggest, best jobs. Like he used to smash Eddie Betts and Stephen Milne. Yep. And he was six foot three, quick. Then he'd play on Rewalt and Pavlich. Yeah. Like, he was a super... He
1: probably player. your first pick, really, when you oh, think about it. It's just, like, okay, what job are we going to give him? You just He'll know done. that he was
2: going to do it. Yep. I've only probably only seen him get beaten twice. Stevie Johnson beat him, um, and there was another game I can't remember, but which is un, unheard of for a defender. He, You just knew what he was going to do. Mm. It wasn't a great kick, but he knew his limitations. That's what you always say as a coach to a player. If you're... Not a great kick, just stick to your limitations and you'll end up being a good kick because yep. you're reliable. Yep. When you play outside your capabilities, that's when you bugger up. I've seen so many blokes here try to kick the knife a needle. They've told they're not a great kick, so they want to rectify that by being the best kick and they stuff it up every well, time. That,
1: well, that's the Josh Gibson scenario come from North Melbourne, come to Hawthorne, just pass it on. Yeah, just, well, just pass it on. And all of a sudden he becomes a best and fairest winner at All Australia. Yeah, like, yeah. obviously, great with defending, but you know. Kept it simple. Pass yeah. it on. Yeah, They'll do the rest for That's the art
2: of coaching is to get these players to believe that whatever your weakness is, or not a strength, don't make it a two out of ten. Make it a five or a six out of ten. and keep. Don't aim for a ten. Then you can play to your strengths because your, your things you're not great at is not going to be a weakness.
0: You're a proud Tasmanian. If Tassie had an AFL team, would you participate in that? And do you think they should have a team?
2: Uh, they should have a team. Hopefully they haven't missed the, the jump. What are we going to call them? The Tassie what? Oh, it's always going to be something. You know, the, the devils. Oh, the, the, I mean, they've had the devils before. Whether that's the Tassie Devils, Tassie Tigers, the Jack Jumpers have, have, yeah, have stolen a march, haven't they? So, because participation is down, and um, you worry about the future of footy in Tassie. Uh, it's been a heartland, but it's not heartland anymore. And I think the AFL may have missed the march. Um, the my old team, Glenorchy, has been one of the strongest and biggest catchment of players. They can't field an under-18s and struggle to field a seconds team. Jeez. And they're in a state league. So if that's so, therefore, to me, AFL Tasmania have not done a good thing with development and keeping the game the way it is. So having a, an AFL team is not going to fix all the ills. Just plonking a team there or starting it up is going to have some real benefits. A for the economy and then uh, pathways and et cetera, but they've got to really drill down to suburban footy statewide league, um, country league. Now country teams are folding like they are in here in Victoria as well, but they've really got to get to help these communities and people. And therefore we will see benefits come back the other way because they'll be involved in footy and buy merchandise and go to games, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, yeah, they need a team. Um, love to be involved yeah in some way yeah, no, yeah love to help in any way Robert Shaw's doing a fantastic job in the background so I talked to Shuri a bit uh, but the task force that have come up with it have done a great job AFL Tasmania won't talk to them so there's there's still this disconnect about how it's going to unfold and I think uh, that's part of the AFL job. If they get a team there, and need to get all parties together and what's best for Tassie footy.
1: When I think of Tasmanian players, it's some of the all-time greats. Peter Hudson, obviously someone you know very well. You've got the Revolts. Uh, well, it would jump on Jack. Anyway, he came down and trained with uh, the Hawks, when, and he was probably about sixteen. N- N- Nick Remember was we twelve.
2: Nick was twelve when he left. Yep, and he went to Queensland. But Matty
1: Richardson, uh, Grant Birchall. Yeah, i, mean, one I mean, the one best, of the best. The
2: best four have always they've always say is Bulldog, Stewart, Royce Hart, and Hudson They've yep. been the best four. Then you got Alistair Richards, Lynch, then you got Richardson and Lynch, Brent Croswell, and then there's probably the next next group after that. Um, but yeah, there's been you no, know, it's been a great. Darren fertile. Pritchard,
1: Oh, we can't yeah. forget Darren Pritchard. Darren Pritchard. What Pritchard.
2: a player he was. So you now there's you now there's been a very fertile ground uh, for for recruiting for and just, good I mean, people.
1: Like we are, Tasmania. Like obviously, spent a lot of time with Hawthorne down there. Really, just to the earth. Good yep, people. Yeah, yep. blue collar, hardworking, good people. Good state. A really good state. Yeah.
2: So hopefully, they do get one. And um, you know, the former premier, who was a very strong part of it, and was a very strong advocate. Um, so hopefully, the new Premier's the same. But said they'd build the new stadium, which will be. Roof over, so the elements in a good spot. We definitely need the roof. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Bill Reeves, the wrong place. Yep. Bill Reeves, no good for footy or cricket. It's windy. It's on a hill. It's it's and they're made into. get Down the road, just down the road, <laughs> they're, they're blowy as all hell. I mean, you know, you've seen some of the, the games there in North Melbourne. The ball goes back, the kick it, and it goes back over the head. Yeah. Like just just can't play footy
0: there. Now, Rodney, we've loved having a chat. Let's finish with a few quick follow ones. Favorite footy memory:
2: Grand Finals. Premierships.
0: One in particular, does one stand out? Yeah,
2: 86. What made 86 special? Uh, you didn't play 85. I didn't play 85, got dropped, and then lost the Norm Smith by a vote. You were robbed too. I was.
0: Teddy right. Whitten got you, didn't he?
2: Yeah, I, every paper <laughs> and, and radio and TV, oh, no. I was the best player. So I kept telling he when I had lunch, and I said, <laughs> mate, you brought along my Norm Smith for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> best I, spray you ever gave.
1: Best spray. And we'll take Will Minson out of it. No, I didn't give him a spray. <laughs> no, I did Well, Will you give the runner a spray? So you didn't receive that. <laughs> um,
2: Brian Lake. Yeah, probably Brian. <laughs> probably Brian. <laughs> Rodney, we've
0: loved having a chat. Thanks so much.
2: Thanks, guys. Good to be here. Thank you, Croft. Well done, Rodney. Thanks very much, Shane.
0: And Punish, you've been listening to Tabs Inside Fifty.